Welcome to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio Podcast on the Brazilian Christian Radio Network, where we share the blessed Bible and the blessed hope. I am Sister Dana Carter, your host and speaker for this time, and I thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord and to this program. I ask that if you have any prayer requests, please send them over to us, and I will be more than happy to pray for you and intercede on your behalf and lift up your prayer requests before our Lord. I just wanted to share with you briefly today um, that the way that Facebook can be used in a way of blessing. I met a pastor from Pakistan, and he invited me to speak to some women there today, this morning, and there was a message I gave to them, and I'm going to share that same message here today with you, but just to hear the Word of God translated into their language so all of them could hear was just such an incredible blessing. It was just an amazing thing. So now, Lord willing, we're going to have the same study hour each Saturday um, morning. And I just really am just so thrilled to my soul at, at how the Lord is using this ministry to reach so many people. We are also excited to be um, sponsoring Glove Box Ministry, which places a way of salvation and Bible portions in cars for each person who buys a car from specific dealerships in different areas in the United States. And we also support Walk by Faith Ministry. And that is walkbyfaithministry.com. The person who runs this ministry, we support her. And I would encourage you to support her as well. Her name is Laura Love. And she is a Jewish follower of Christ who does street ministry and writes and publishes gospel tracts, devotionals, and books. And she's on the road full-time for the Lord and ministry with a small crew of handicapped and senior rescue dogs and she has a faithful magazine as well that I use to send to people and share in my area and I would encourage you to support her ministry I have spoken with her many times she is a wonderful woman of God and she has books as well one book I recommend called follower I would encourage you to get that. Contact her ministry. So go on www.walkbyfaithministry.com. Also, Precious Pearls Ministries is going to be opening a Christian online gift store. And um, it's going to be open. My daughter and I came up with the idea, and it's going to be called Above Rubies. We'll announce that later on as time goes on. And... Part of the proceeds um, from the profits from that um, website will go to support Glove Box Ministry walk, and Walk by Faith Ministry as well, and also Repentance Cry Ministries and some missionaries in China. So if you support Precious Pearls Ministries, I want to thank you for that. You could support us with a $0.99 cents a month donation. And that would be a blessing. It seems like it's only a dollar, 
but we have many listeners. If everyone would just donate $1, it would help us stay on air and help share the gospel worldwide as we are doing today. First, let us pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful day that you have given to us, Lord God. Thank you for waking us up this morning and keeping us safe. Lord, please, I pray for the people that are affected by the hurricane in um, the areas in the East Coast in the United States, Lord. I ask you to um, rescue those that are in need of rescue. I ask you, Lord, to use this situation to draw many people to yourself. Send many Christians down there to minister to them, Lord, and help them to see your hand in this whole situation being one of wanting to rescue and save. Lord God, I thank you for those that have been rescued out of this situation. I thank you for the people that are there. I ask you, Lord, to send the first responders in. Give them the knowledge to help them to Reach the people, keep them safe, Lord. Bring them safely home to their families. Help the people that are displaced get new homes, get new places to be, Lord. And I just ask that you calm this storm and take it away, Lord, so no one else can be harmed or displaced from this storm. And I ask you, Lord, all these things in Jesus' precious name. I also ask you, Lord, to bless this podcast today. We are going to do a teaching today, and I ask you, Lord, to be with us in this message and help us to learn what you would have us to learn. Today, we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Lord, I ask you to please add a blessing to the readers, hearers, and doers of your holy word. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the lessons that you have taught us. May we apply these things to our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, the way of Cain. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. Genesis records the beginning of the universe, the world, the sun, moon and stars, animal life, plant life, and human life, along with many other important things. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, many first things appear. The first man, the first woman, the first command from God, the first marriage, the first home, the first sin, the first death, the first sacrifice, the first worship, the first murder, the first curse, and so on. In this passage, the Lord gives us a glimpse inside the world's first family. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, are the focus of the verses before us today. While there are a great many truths in this, in this passage, one stands higher than the others, at least for me. In the life of Cain, I see a portrait of every lost sinner who has ever lived. Cain is the archetype, the prototype of every sinner who will follow him into this world. When I look at Cain, I see the embodiment of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, which says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So let's go to Genesis chapter 4, excuse me, and get your Bible. And, excuse me, we're going to read Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 13 together. I'm sorry, I should have started with that first. Let's see here. All right. Here we go. All right. 
And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. That verse about Proverbs 16.25, which says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That verse describes the life of Cain perfectly. It also describes the lives of all those who live not by faith, but who walk after the flesh. It's a lifestyle the Bible calls the way of Cain, Jude 11. The passage we'll study today reveals the characteristics of the, all those who refuse to live life according to God's word and will. When you hear these characteristics, I would ask you to examine your heart. If you see these characteristics in your life, it indicates that you need to be saved. I would encourage you to believe the gospel and to look to Christ for salvation. If you are saved and you see these characteristics in those around you, I challenge you to lift them up in prayer and determine in your heart that you will give them the gospel of grace. Let's explore the way of Cain for a few moments today. And let me point out from this text the characteristics of those who are walking that path. First, it's in verses chapter um, 1 through 5 in chapter 4. It's, they're characterized by an unbelieving heart. This chapter begins with a picture of great hope. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of that beautiful garden by the Lord. Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 to 24a. God placed an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve from re-entering the garden and eating from the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24 B, the second part of the verse. Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden and they were forced to eke out a meager existence by working the ground for their food. Their lives, which had been so perfect before they sinned, changed in every way. Now their lives revolved around hard work, unending drudgery, and boundless regret. The days of walking with the Lord in the cool of the garden were over. They were consigned to a life of pain, sorrow, toil, and eventually death and all hope seemed gone. Then Genesis chapter 4, 1 says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Suddenly there was hope. Suddenly in the face of certain death, there was the wonder of a new life, the hope of a new beginning and the promise of a better tomorrow. While I'm here in this verse, let me say something. 
The Bible says Adam knew his wife. The word knew means to know fully, to know by experience. The word knew is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. Adam and Eve came together in a physical union, but the word expresses something much deeper than that. The word know suggests a far deeper connection between a man and a woman than what is possible, the casual atmosphere that surrounds sex in our world today. We live in a culture which has cheapened and sullied sex. Most people in our culture believe they can engage in casual sex and still experience long-term satisfaction in their relationships. They are wrong. People engage in illicit sexual activity without understanding the deeper meaning. There's a meaning behind what they're doing. There's more to the human sexual experience than mere physical pleasure. The view of sex that dominates our society is warped and it distorts God's intention and the gift of sex to humanity. When the Bible says that Adam knew his wife, it refers not just to the physical union, but to a commitment to know a person in all their dimensions, a commitment to study them and learn everything there is about them. It refers to a union that is not only one flesh, but one heart, one goal, and one life. If people brought that understanding into their physical relationships, premarital sex and adultery would cease to be the problem they are in our world. So a new life has begun. Eve, like billions of her daughters to follow, must have been excited about the baby growing in her womb. I can imagine her calling Adam over to feel the baby kick against her belly. I can see him placing his ear to her belly, listening to the tiny heartbeat inside. It was a time of new possibilities and renewed hope and excited expectation. Then one day the wait was over. Eve gave birth to the first baby born into the world. Eve was the first woman to experience the pain of childbirth. And on the heels of that experience, she was the first to experience the joy of holding in her arms a newborn baby. Eve named the baby Cain. The name means I have gotten. Eve gives God the glory for her new baby. And she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She saw this birth as a time of divine blessing in her life, in her family, and in her world. Then came another baby whom they named Abel. His name means breath, vapor, perishable. The name would prove prophetic as their second son perished like a breath exhaled into the air. These boys may have been twins. Verse 2 refers to Abel's birth with no mention of a second conception. Whether they were or not does not matter. What matters is that the sadness of Adam and Eve over their sin and over their lost fellowship with the Lord is somewhat mitigated by their children. Those babies brought hope into a world that must have seemed so hopeless. Babies possess that power, don't they? They often bring joy, laughter, and hope for tomorrow when those tiny, wiggling, crying creatures come into the world. These two boys grew up together in the same home. They had the same parents, received the same instructions, saw the same things, and shared the same experiences. But as they grew, differences began to emerge. When it came time to choose a job, they both chose honorable vocations. Cain followed in his father's footsteps and became a farmer. Abel became a shepherd. Both vocations were important and helped to sustain their family. At some point, probably as they reached young adulthood, these young men came before the Lord to worship. I'm sure they had been trained by their parents as to how they were to approach God. Can you imagine what kind of evangelist Adam and Eve would have been?
They knew what it was to walk with God. They knew what it was to lose that sweet fellowship. They were there when God confronted them over their sin and killed an animal to provide a covering for their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. I can imagine that they shared that information with their sons. I wonder how many times Adam took them on his knees and told them about God and how he was to be worshipped. I wonder how many times Eve warned them to listen to the Lord and not to the devil. So in verse 3 to 4, Cain and Abel come before God to make an offering to him. The Bible says in verse 4 that the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering. Then verse 5 says, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. The word respect means to look upon something with approval. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, while Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. God approved of Abel's offering while he rejected Cain's. What was the difference? I have heard all kinds of theories about why one offering was accepted while the other was rejected. God did not accept Abel's offering over Cain simply because Abel's was a blood sacrifice. God did not reject Cain's sacrifice simply because it was not an animal sacrifice. While the kind of sacrifice offered here does play some part in why God rejected one and accepted the other, there is more to it than that. When Adam and Eve sinned in Eden, God killed an innocent animal to provide a covering for their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. When God did that, he chose an innocent substitute to atone for the guilty sinners. Yet in both Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God told Israel to offer grain and food offerings to thank him for his blessings and to acknowledge him as the source of all their provisions. The fruit of the field was therefore an offering accepted by God. However, the primary and necessary sacrifices were all blood sacrifices in which an innocent substitute died for guilty sinners. In the Garden of Eden, God established a pattern for approaching him that has never changed. The ultimate sacrifice was made when Jesus Christ came into the world and gave his life for sinners on the cross, shedding his perfect sinless blood to redeem the lost, satisfy the demands of God over sin, and wash the sinner clean. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Mark that in your Bible. And also Revelation chapter 1, 5. There is only one way for man to come to God. From Genesis through Revelation, God's method for cleansing sin has always remained the same. It takes the blood of an innocent sacrifice to cleanse the sinner from his sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. You see this in Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. You see it in Egypt. During the Passover, when the blood of the Lamb protected the people of Israel from the death angel. And that's in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. You see this throughout the long history of worship in Egypt when the high priest on the Day of Atonement entered into the Holy of Holies with the blood of substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And that's Leviticus chapter 16, verses 16 through 28. And please note these verses down so that you can study them for further study after this message. It culminates at Calvary when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was judged in the place of sinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 
while that must be a part of what is happening here, I think something much deeper is taking place. Notice the wording in verse 4. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The word firstlings suggests the best. The phrase of the fat thereof speaks of careful preparation. Abel carefully selected the best animal he had. He took the time to prepare the sacrifice. He brought it before the Lord. And he offered it by faith. It appears that Abel went out of his way to offering a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God set the pattern for sacrifice. Blood was required. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised that one day a Savior would come. Abel's sacrifice said that he believed God and his faith was accepted by the Lord. The writer of Hebrews said this about Abel's sacrifice. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. Abel's sacrifice said, I believe you, Lord, he is coming. His sacrifice revealed the condition of his heart. He loved God. He honored God's word. He believed in God's promise to send a savior. And according to verse 5, God both accepted Abel and his offering. 1 John 3.12 says that his works were righteous. Abel's faith in God translated to God, accepting Abel and to God, declaring him righteous. Cain, on the other hand, is said to have brought of the fruit of the ground. There is no evidence of faith in the promises of God. There is no evidence of preparation. Cain's offering said, I know what you said, but here is what I want to give you. Take it or leave it. Cain's offering was an act of false worship that said, my way will work just as well as your way. He found out instantly that it didn't work that way because God rejected both Cain and his offering. It seems to me that Cain was merely following a form and there was no love in his heart for God or gratitude to God for his blessings. In Abel, there is an acknowledgement of sin and of his need of a savior. In Cain, there is neither. Cain neither acknowledged that he was a sinner or that he needed a savior. Because of his lack of faith and dependence on self, God rejected him and his offering. There is a warning here that we need to heed. God will not accept our religion. He will not accept our works. He will not accept anything we can do to attempt to save ourselves. The only thing God will accept is what he has already provided. He will accept nothing but faith in the atoning sacrifice and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Let's go there and read. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. And that's John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not 1st John. So we're going to go to John chapter 14. And verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus alone is able to provide access to God because he alone paid the penalty for our sins. 
And that's referenced in Isaiah 53.5 and Hebrews 1.3. He is the truth. And all contrary claims are false. He alone is the life, having life in himself. He is thus able to confer eternal life on all those who believe in him. Jesus is truth and life, and he is the one and only way of salvation. There are so many people out here that are saying that there's other ways to be saved. I saw a video of Oprah Winfrey saying, you know, there's other paths, there's other ways to be saved. That is false. That is absolutely false. I know many people listening may listen to her, and I just want to warn you on that. She is new age. She is dangerous to listen to, and a lot of her um, people that she promotes with these books teach new age philosophy, which is basically the old lie from Satan. It's all old lies that are just spun into today's terminology and wording, and it it's not correct. It's not accurate. Be very, very discerning and very careful of what you listen to and who. There is only one way, one truth and one life, and that is Jesus Christ. It is mentioned also in John 16, 31 and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Let's read that as well. Talks about here for by <clears throat> sorry for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast it is the gift of God how we are saved it is not through any works of our own Cain revealed his lost condition through an unbelieving heart. He refused to come to God God's way. In short, he rejected the gospel of grace and God rejected him. Ask yourself, what does your heart say about you? Have you believed the gospel? Are you trusting Jesus and what he did as the only hope you have for your salvation? Or is your hope in other things? <clears throat> Excuse me. Things like good works, religious deeds, a good life, church membership, baptism, etc. will never save you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Let's go there and read. Matthew 7, 21. Here we go. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name has cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. By referring to himself and as Lord and depicting himself as the ultimate judge of humanity, Jesus asserted his deity. True disciples affirm Jesus' lordship, submit to his authority, and obey his commands. Jesus insisted that a person is confirmed as a true disciple, not by prophecy, exorcism, or working miracles, but by a, living a transformed life made possible by God. The disobedient lifestyles of evildoers are inconsistent with genuine discipleship. Jesus' words, I never knew you, show that they were never truly disciples. God's plan is simple, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, 
the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Also, um, it was characterized, the ways of Cain was characterized by an unbelieving heart. Verses 5 to 7, characterized by an unrepentant heart. As soon as Cain realized that his offering had been rejected by God, the Bible says his countenance fell. This means his whole demeanor changed. He was crestfallen. He could not understand why God would accept Cain's offering and reject his. God knows what's in Cain's heart. So in verses 6 through 7, God speaks to Cain and asks him why he's upset. The word wrath in verse 5 and 6 means to burn with hot anger or jealousy. God tells Cain in verse 7 that if he did what was right, he would be accepted too. I don't think God is telling Cain to go get the right kind of sacrifice. I think the Lord is calling him to change his heart toward the Lord. God wants Cain to repent of his attitude toward God and to walk with God in faith, humility, and submission like Abel, his brother. God is looking to produce a change of heart and a change of mind in Cain. God warns him that sin is like a wild beast crouching, ready to pounce, lying just outside the door. That beast is waiting to pounce on Cain and devour him. If Cain will come to God God's way, then he can have power over the beast. If he doesn't change, repent and honor God. And his way, then sin will control him. Well, we all know which way Cain chose. He refused to repent. He refused to love the Lord and he refused to walk in God's plan and sin consumed him. Every unbeliever who has passed through this world since Cain has had the same problem. They possess an unrepentant heart. The lost sinner is the slave of sin and Satan. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. Let's go there. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according in the, to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, of the, were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So that's chapter 2, Ephesians, verses 1 through 3. So trespasses are lapses, sins are shortcomings. Apart from Christ, people are without authentic spiritual life. In this state, the most vital part of the human personality is dead. Thus, people cannot, by their own efforts or ingenuity, experience fellowship with God or meet his requirements. This world is associated with the realm of Satan. The way of life without Christ is in accordance with Satan's ways. The Greek word translated conversation is a different term from the one in verse 2 translated walk. Though the idea is similar, to have conversation means to turn to and fro and behave in accordance with certain principles. Apart from Christ, people are dominated by fleshly lusts and orientation away from God towards selfish concerns. The plural suggests multiple unredeemed urges in our life apart from Christ. The unredeemed person is completely at the mercy of the tyrannical self and its lustful impulses. The fall into sin described in Genesis 3 was not merely a moral lapse, but a deliberate turning away from God in rejection of him. Sin's entrance brought about a sinful nature in all humanity. Men and women are by nature hostile to God and estranged from him while functioning as free moral agents, sin always negatively influences human decisions and actions. People do not genuinely repent 
or turn to God apart from divine enablement. And let's go to chapter 8 in the book of John 44. And the word of God reads, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. There is no such thing as a little white lie. A lie is a lie. And we have to learn to discipline ourselves to not tell them. We have to really pray every day and die to ourselves. God calls the lost to repent of their sins, to turn to him, to walk in his will, his word, and his ways. That is the only path that leads to heaven. All the roads lead to hell. If you are lost, you need to know that sin will consume you unless you turn from it and come to God. You may think you are calling the shots. In your own life, you might think you're a master of your own destiny. The truth is very different. Sin is a deceptive and cruel master. It will lead you along with its pleasures and entice you with its promises. At, but at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Highlight that in your Bible. Proverbs 23, 32. At the last, it biteth like a serpent. Who is the serpent? Who was the serpent that came to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Think about that. That's what sin is. And it stingeth like an adder. Proverbs 23, 32. The path of sin always leads to disillusionment, defeat, and death. The path of sin always leads away from peace, hope, and joy. The path of sin always, always ends in the fires of hell. There is but one remedy for sin, and that remedy is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for sin and for sinners. He gave his life so that you might be given a new life. He came for those who, like Abel, understand that they need a Savior. He came for the lost. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Mark chapter 2, verse 17. God cannot help someone like Cain. No one can. The person who refuses to acknowledge his spiritual condition and who refuses to repent of sin cannot and will not be saved. All those who are lost and remain that way are characterized by an unrepentant heart. Characterized by an ungodly heart. These last few verses of our text demonstrate the outcome of sin. In Cain's case, as in, is in the case of every other sinner, the condition of the heart determines the course of the life. The beast of sin pounced on Cain and devoured his heart his conscience, and even his love for his brother. Notice how sin manifested itself in Cain's life. Verse 8 tells us 
that Cain murdered his brother. How did he kill him? He probably cut his throat the same way a sacrifice was slaughtered. That that was the only way Cain had ever seen anything die. Or he might have hit him on the head with something. Why did Cain kill Abel? He was jealous of him. Abel had something Cain didn't have. Abel had a faith relationship with God, and unbelievers always demonstrate animosity and anger toward people of faith. This is what happened here. Back in verse 5, the Bible says that Cain was angered by God's rejection of his offering. Cain was angry at God, whom he could not kill, and he was jealous of his brother, whom he could kill. Cain's hatred of God manifested itself in his hatred of Abel. The anger toward God in his heart revealed itself in the murder of his brother. In verse 9, God comes to Cain and asks about the whereabouts of Abel. This is the same thing God did when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Remember back in Genesis chapter 3, 9, God came looking for the fallen couple. And said, where art thou? Cain answered the Lord with a lie. He said, I know not. This is another indication that sin has taken control of his heart and of his life. Then he answers the Lord with pure sarcasm. Am I my brother's keeper? This is a play on words. In verse 2, Abel is called a keeper of sheep. Cain says to God, I am not his shepherd. He's not my responsibility. Cain is saying to God, since you love him so much, why don't you keep up up with him yourself? Basically, in verse 10, God tells Cain that he knows what Cain has done. He says that the blood of Abel cries out to him from the ground where it was shed. The blood of Abel was not silent. It cried out for justice, and justice was what Cain received. What I want you to see here is the fundamental biblical truth. The condition of the heart determines the course of the life. What is seen in the life externally is a revelation of the character of the heart internally. In Cain's life, sin manifested its control in anger, jealousy, hatred, murder, and lying. All of those actions prove that Cain possessed an unredeemed heart. While we are not to stand in judgment of one another, this truth still applies today. The life always reveals the condition of the heart. We can profess to anything, but the truth of what we are is revealed in the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we think, and in the way we approach God. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Matthew 12, 34-35. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 16-20, And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 to 20. What does your life say about the condition of your heart?
verses 11 through 13 chronicle the rest of Cain's tragic story. Cain is punished by God. The ground is cursed for him. For a farmer, this would be devastating. God is saying, your sin has poisoned the earth against you. No matter where you go or how hard you work, the earth that swallowed your brother's blood will stand in testimony against you, and it will not honor your work with fruit. In addition to that, you will be a fugitive and a wanderer for the rest of your days. Verse 13 lets us know that Cain recognized the severity of his punishment. He paid a high price for his sin all the days he lived in this world. He was banished from home and family. He was consigned to a horrible, desperate existence. The name Cain appears in the Bible 20 times in 17 verses. His name only appears three times in the New Testament, and each time it appears, it is used in a negative way. The verse that stands out to me is 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. It says, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. That verse tells us the ultimate fate of Cain. He was of that wicked one. Here's a sobering thought. Cain was the first child born into this world. He was born to parents who were obviously not perfect, but who knew God, had walked with God, and taught him the truth. He had a brother who knew God and who knew how to approach God. Yet Cain was a lost man, and in the end, the first baby born in the world most likely died and went to hell. Don't let that happen to you. Don't walk in the way of Cain. You need a Savior, and there is only one. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to open a way of salvation for you. If you will come to God through him, you will be accepted by God. Your sins will be forgiven, and you will be saved. If you try to go any other way, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John chapter 14, verse 6. Do you need to come to Jesus? If you do, the time to come to him is now. Are you saved? You ought to thank him for his grace and for his salvation. You ought to come before God and pray for those who do not know him. Also, if you are saved, you also should be sharing the gospel with other people. There is a ministry called Moments with the Book. Moments with the Book. And the website is www.m wtb.org go on there and order yourself some tracks some pamphlets to share with people you also can receive a free magazine called moments for you i get it and it's a blessing and i get it in the king james version only although there's other translations i don't use those but um and i'll explain why later on i've done a study on it and i will explain all that but um, I want to share with you, after this message here, are you ready? Please regard this as personal. You must meet God. Are you ready? In comparison with this question, all others, 
sink into utter insignificance before it all other problems pale. You may be successful in business, brilliant in your profession and healthy in your body and mind. You may be religious and respected by your friends, but what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Matthew 16, 26. This is a solemn, unanswered question of scripture. To be ready to meet God requires a new birth. Have you been born again? This is not I'm sorry, this is more than success, more than health, more than religion, more than respectability. These may all be present and the essential new birth unknown. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. This statement is unequivocal. Unequivocal, I'm sorry. It cannot be evaded. It was uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ. The necessity for the new birth arises from the fact that as born into this world, we all spring from a sinful stock. We are all sinners. This is effectually barring our fellowship with God. Sin is contrary to the nature of God. He hates it. He is of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And that's in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13. Please highlight that. While God hates sin, he loves sinners, whether they tread the clean or filthy side of the broad road. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 God's judgment on sin fell upon Christ on the cross, and there is cleansing and forgiveness for all who believe on him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1 12. Thus by new birth, by receiving Christ, by believing he died for my sins, I am born into the family of God and can answer the question, are you ready with a glad and confident yes? Have you known this change? Have you experienced this new birth? Have you cried out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and ask him to be your savior and your Lord? Don't resent these personal questions. Were I to tell you of a path to wealth and fame, you doubtless give eager consideration to my proposal, however incredible they might appear. This new birth may seem to you incredible. Tens of thousands, however, know its reality in their heart and their life. Don't re therefore refuse to face the problem because of its in seeming incredibility. Put the matter to the test. Do it now. The terms are simple. As many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. Will you receive him, the living Christ of God who died, rose again, and now offers salvation to all who believe on him? Will you trust him now and as your Savior and obey him as Lord? It's not the reception of a creed or identification with a sect or becoming a religious person that saves it is the acceptance of a person, the son of God. Your acceptance or rejection of him answers the solemn question, are you ready? Thus the issue is very clear and the point is very fine. Christ is the test and none other is there salvation in church or creed or religion. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Acts 10.43 Therefore believe on him and be saved. Meet God, you must. Are you ready? We can come to him. We can come to him with the faith of a child. The faith of a child. 
We walked in the forest, little Danny and I, and the thunder crashed above us and the storm clouds hid the sky. The lightning was wild and angry, the wind gusts fierce and strong. The trees bowed and shook around us as we hurried our steps along. I saw by the lightning flashes that his face was frightened and white, and his eyes were wide with wonder at the terror of the night. The owl called out in the darkness. The crows sulked away in the pine. I felt Danny's little hand tremble as I held it close in mine. Are you afraid, I asked him. Are you going to cry? But the little fellow answered, I'll never cry, not I. He drew back his little shoulders. Bravely did he stand. He said, I'm afraid of nothing so long as you hold my hand. I thrilled at his childish trusting, and I thought of the path I tread, how the specters rise around me and the clouds are black overhead, how the shadows lie so thickly that the path I cannot see, and I long for a hand to hold me as Danny held to me. Then I thought of my heavenly father. I thought of his watchful care. That's when I need him by me. I always find him there. And I softly said, dear father, when the storms are raging wild, let me cling to thy hand more closely with the faith of a little child. You can come to the father in that way. There is a verse, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew nineteen fourteen. I shall say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom will I trust. Psalm 91, 2. That poem, The Faith of a Little Child, was written by David Lehi. David Lehi. And that is distributed by evangelicaltract.com that's www.evangelicaltract.com you can also receive tracts from them they're in Canada and they're an excellent excellent ministry moments with the book and also evangelical tract distributors chick publications please please go share the gospel with people Go share the gospel today with somebody. The Pocket Testament League also has Gospels of John with the salvation message in those. And you can get them for free. People sponsor them. You can get them. If you don't have money to order them, get them. Somebody shared the gospel with me. And now I'm sharing the gospel with you. Who are you going to share it with? Who are you going to share it with? Because Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. And who in your family, who at your job, who in your house is not saved? Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this message, Lord. And I ask that you hide me behind this message and only let these people hear the word of you. Any flaws or imperfections that I may have said today, just dismiss that, Lord, and just know that I am a willing vessel to be used for your glory. And I ask that you take this stammering tongue and use it for your glory, Lord God. I thank you for my speech. I thank you for my ability to speak. There are some that cannot. And those of us that that have voices that can share, let us share the gospel today. Let us do this. Let's be about our Father's business. We must be about your business, Father God. Our Heavenly Father, you are righteous, holy, and pure. You are light without shadow. You are presence without stain.
You told us righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We confess our sins to you, Lord. We have no righteousness of our own. We claim the righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus. We claim the Spirit's power to live pure and upright lives. For the grace that brings salvation also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to be self-controlled and godly in this present age as we await our glorious hope, our Lord's return. So please, Father, keep our minds pure. Keep our eyes blameless. Help us to guard what we watch and where we are, where we go. Help us to do nothing that we would not do in your presence because you are everywhere at all times, Lord God. Help us to look at nothing that we would not look at without you sitting by our side. Help us to say nothing that we would not say without you hearing. Preserve our hearts and our homes in holiness befitting your name. Sanctify us by your truth. Your eyes are on the righteous, Lord, and your ears are open to our prayers. So keep us from falling and restore righteousness to us. Thank you, Father God, for this ministry and for all those who are listening today. I ask you, Lord, to just place in them a desire to share this podcast with every single person that they know. Please. Download this message to your computer and share it with other people. Share the link with somebody. Please share it. Ask them to listen. It's only about an hour of time. And an hour of time that could change somebody's eternity. Can you please do that for the Lord? Not for me, for the Lord. Share this with everybody. Get those tracts and pamphlets and pass them out. Leave them in cabs and also at bus stops. Anywhere you go, when you go to McDonald's or any restaurant, wherever you are worldwide, give them to the person that is servicing you. When you get gas, give it to the checkout person. When you go to anywhere, Walmart, any anywhere. Give them to the cashier. My son, just a brief story before the end. My son, Josiah, is 15 years old, and we went grocery shopping. And I gave a track from Moments with the book to him to give to the cashier. And the man who took it, he has a he has autism. But he is very, very high-functioning, and he's a wonderful cashier, very pleasant. So he handed him a track, and on the front of the track, it says, Jesus loves you. And then on the back, it gave you how to be saved and everything. And the man took the track from him, and he said, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And Jesus does love me. Now, who is waiting for you to give them that track to tell you thank you very much? I appreciate you giving that to me. How do you know, how do we know until eternity happens, what will happen in that man's life? That seed could have been planted in that man's life to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And if my son, not using him to glorify him, but the love of God that he has shed abroad in his heart, he wants to share the gospel with others to be a warning to them. He shared that gospel with that man. 
and he could be saved from that. That man could walk up to him in the New Jerusalem and say, thank you for giving me that track. I appreciate you and hug him. How do you know who is going to be with the Lord for all eternity because of you? Ask yourself that. Are you going to be there yourself? Ask yourself, are you living in your religion or are you in Christ? Please come back next week and listen in again. I thank you. I thank God for all of you. I thank God for your devotion to the Lord and also for tuning in today. God bless you and talk to you soon. Take care of yourself.